Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. We're going to be recapping Yair Rodriguez versus BJ Penn, the massacre that occurred in Phoenix. And joining me to recap UFC Phoenix is the one and only, the MMA analyst, Dan Tom. Dan, great to have you on the show finally, dude. Dude, it's an honor to be on Half the Battle finally, uh, chatting with my man Levy here. Man, it's been a long time coming. You know, I'm a big fan of your work. Now you're finally right here, right now, on Half the Battle. I mean, Yair Rodriguez, look... A lot of us knew that he was going to go out there and make a statement, but did you know he was going to go out there and make a statement like that? I knew it was possible, and I guess, you know, the BJ Penn homer and me was hoping that, that he, he would send some turbulence, but that was about as smooth as a takeoff, a landing, and maybe he even did one of those loop-de-loop and barrel roll airplane while he was up in the air. <laughs> and yeah, it was a really smooth flight. Man, it, it really was. And, you know, I got to give BJ Penn a lot of credit, not just for his toughness, but for, you know, outside of the cage factors. This guy has the ability to make you believe that he's back, unlike anyone I've ever seen in the sport. If I were to take a sales class, I'd want BJ Penn to teach it. Because, I mean, the dude, look, I had over my max play on Yair. You know, my, my max play is usually five units, right? I had six units on Yair. And even, and, you know, you watch his last four fights, you're like, yeah, he's completely done. But then you hear him talk, and you're like, shit, man, maybe he's back. And you know what's funny about that, Dan, is when he took on Rory McDonald, and you recall, uh, you know, he put out this 15-second clip of him shadow boxing in his driveway with some reggae music, and we're all like, okay, he's back. He's going to knock out Rory. Man, where does BJ's ability to be such a great self-promoter come from, man? He's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I, I think in another life, he could have really been like a political speechwriter because not only could he can he give them, but like when you, when you really... You know, as a writer, when I, you know, I was putting together this long-form article I did, you're looking at a lot of quotes and stuff, and it was so hard to write any words because the man is quoting it better than anyone could ever write it, and it's, it's so spot-on. I mean, whether you're, a fan of, whether you're a fan of this guy, whether you laugh or cry, he was going to make you, you know, he was going to make you care, right? Whether, whether you were rooting against him or rooting for him, and he had that special aura about him, and no one can explain it, neither can he, but you're right, you're right, Levy, he has it, man. Man, he really does. So, you know, Yair has often been criticized for just being solely flash and not having the fundamentals down. And, you know, I always kind of disagreed with that because, look, when you look at a guy like Anthony Showtime Pettis, in my opinion, he was one of the first guys to really bring the flash to MMA. I mean, we all recall the Showtime kick, you know? It's a five-round fight. It's tied 2-2 two to two going into the fifth round. He jumps off the cage and head kicks Benson Henderson. I mean, the highlights shown all over the world. It's one of the greatest moments in MMA history. And that was the first time, you know, you know the next day people are in the gym jumping off the wall, hitting the tie pads, right? So that was the first time where we really saw the flash in MMA. And then we'd see little examples, little glimpses here and there from Showtime Pettis and some of his other fights, you know, the Cowboy Cerrone fight, the Benson, the second Benson-Henderson fight, but we never saw it as a consistent thing, you know, it'd be a, alright, when's he gonna pull the Showtime off? With Yair Rodriguez, it's every other move, and it's accurate, man, I mean, he's throwing 360 roundhouse kicks to the head, and he's landing them, it's unlike anything I've ever seen, and one, one more comment, Dan, is that... I've always seen the raw potential in Yair Rodriguez, you know, dating back to the Charles Rosa fight, but now he's putting it all together. I mean, he's just a kid. It's insane, man. Uh, you know, you think on paper like, oh, you know, Dan Swine, he could relate more to BJ Penn, but actually as a martial artist, I can relate a lot more to Yair Rodriguez. Uh, 
I've done many martial arts, um, you know, grown up and, and, and up till now. But the first one I did was, you know, I call the gateway martial art, especially if you grew up in America in the early 90s, which was Taekwondo, uh, which is Yair's base. And, um, you know, I don't believe I, you know, should have been so young having a having a black belt, but I was able to compete on, on national and regional levels. And I really embraced that, you know, that, that, that style. But even, you know, in the 90s, and I wasn't even aware of mixed martial arts, but let, whether it was, you know, potential street fights or fights at school or just wanting to get better as a martial artist, I saw, hey, this is 90% kicks and 10% hands. There's an inherent problem there. So I went to, you know, more Kempo karate. Then I went to grappling. Then I went to Muay Thai kickboxing and eventually made it to MMA. Got a little more practical as I went along. But, uh, but the thing was, is as Every martial art I got into, I always had a hard time translating the Taekwondo because you need a certain range. Um, there's a certain reset. There's a certain chamber. And there's just a certain body mechanics and athleticism. You need to keep it uh, not just to be able to throw the kicks, but maintain the terms with an unwilling opponent to throw those kicks. It's so damn difficult no matter what martial art you're in. And as someone has experience um, in the martial art Yair has and tried to translate in other martial arts, obviously on a much lower level than Yair – I cannot help but admire the fact that he is able to consistently do this style. I keep waiting for to be for him to be taxed in boxing range, and um, it hasn't happened yet. It, it, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But I am in awe of what this kid can do, and as far as keeping kicking terms, a hundred percent. And I mean, it almost looked like target practice out there. Look, the first minute was probably you know the quote unquote most competitive part of the fight. But as soon as he threw that one head kick and it broke through the guard of Penn, the fight was over right then and there. After that, you know, he was hitting him at will. And it was unbelievable because it's almost like, uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie Three Ninjas back in the day when, uh, you know, the, 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 gr the grandfather, <laughs> he's got that target machine and it lights up, you know, whenever you hit the right spots. And, uh, you know, Rocky Colt and Tom Tom, they're going off on it. And, uh, you know, Yair, when he wanted to hit the inside of the leg, he hit the inside of the leg. When he wanted to kick you in the head, he kicked you in in the head when he wants to kick you in the body he'll kick you in the body and he landed every single thing he threw and it was just unreal so firstly let's credit the chin and toughness of bj penn i mean we already knew that this guy is one of the toughest of all time but one doesn't simply eat you know a head kick to the chin and stay standing and bj penn did on multiple occasions dan yeah he did and it's funny because this has always been a point of pride as a as a, as a you know, uh, as a BJ Penn, you're like, oh, he's, he's, he's never been knocked down and this and that. But even before that happened, and I'm sure we'll get to that in a second, I guess I couldn't enjoy the fact that he was holding up to those shots that you're talking about, Daniel, because I, I it just, it felt so impending. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that, 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 that sensed that it felt so impending that I wasn't even like, oh, he can take these shots. And get, it was almost just felt like a, 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 a tree slowly timbering, but, uh, but you're right. He is so tough. And, and, and that's why I think he's so endearing to us all because not just physically he's able to take the shots that he was willing to put himself, you know, to even sign the contract to step into that cage. I mean, uh, most guys wouldn't, not only most guys wouldn't, if BJ Penn, I would argue were in Yahir's case, I think he would have turned down this fight. He would have considered it an insult. He would never have taken these kinds of fights. BJ only punched up. He never punched down. And I'm not saying Yahir did. Yahir showed great respect after the fight and all that. Um, but, but yeah, I think his toughness hits on multiple levels. And you're right. I think those need to be respected on each and every level because it's something we're not really going to see too much anymore of. A hundred percent. And yeah, you're right. You know, some people were kind of criticizing Yair simply for taking that fight. But I mean, look, if you're a 23-year-old kid and they offer you a legend you grew up watching, I mean, a lot of these new fans, they don't understand that BJ Penn was the man 
back in the day. I mean, he was the original champ champ, you know? Welterweight title, lightweight title, fought Machida at heavyweight. I mean, this is one of the all-time greats. It's just that a lot of the newer fans, they've only seen the last few fights, so they don't really know what we know, you know what I mean? And when we saw BJ Penn back in the day, I mean, he would do things that were unheard of. I mean, you remember the takedown defense in the second Matt Hughes fight for the first round. He's got his leg all the way up to his head, and he still won't get taken down. You remember the flexibility, and then uh, the way he traps people's arms when he takes their backs and chokes them out. And he's got the knockout power too. He was the original full package, but it's unbelievable how the sport continues to evolve. You know, we could say year by year, we could say month by month. I'm going to say day by day, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, by the way, before I forget, next person first beer is on me for that three ninjas pull, sir. That was awesome. My but man. <laughs> uh, second of all, <laughs> my man. Second of all, though, um, you know, on that note, uh, you know, we could. I mean, I, I could probably pontificate for days about you know all the all these great moments and that he had, you know, and things people should recognize from him being one of the first people to go for two division champions, him being one of the first people to pursue high level boxers, him one of the being the first people to actually make his own promotion and not to bring in any cans to bring in the number one ranked lightweight fighter at the time, Takano Origomi. I mean, he was, uh, you know, having a negotiation problems with the UFC first. I mean, all these parallels to a guy like McGregor's career, who I also, you know, love and respect. Um, it, but people forget these things, like you say. And, and if I can point to one technical thing, because, you know, you're pointing to the arm trapping and the takedown defense, all great things. I point my article to his first fight, BJ Penn's first fight. It's so important in retrospect. If, we're, if you're looking to put a, a kind of capstone on what 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 me what me and Levy are trying to say here, folks, is that you can look at that Joey Gilbert fight, and Joey Gilbert was more of a grappler, and Penn was a BJJ guy, and it was amazing because he was a BJJ guy, and he came and knocked out all three guys, right? And he wanted to stand. Well, Joey Gilbert tried to take him down against the fence, and Penn, you know, he almost gave Penn a guillotine, and Penn had a guillotine that, from the looks of it. He actually would have been justified to drop to his back, and although we criticize that, right? Not only do we criticize people dropping for their back in guillotines, it happens at least once a card still, right? On the highest level, on once every MMA card, guys are dropping for guillotines and making a stupid mistake against the fence. BJ Penn used the guillotine to threaten Joey Gilbert just enough to get his hands to abandon the takedown and try to fight the hands to defend BJ's guillotine, but instead of dropping for it, BJ used the guillotine to circle away from the fence, push Gilbert to the fence, break and immediately strike off the break. So you had guillotine threats, takedown defense, circling away and striking off the break. Like little key in between phases that I know you like to look for in your fighters as well when you're looking to make these plays. BJ Penn was doing that in his very first fight ever. And his very first fight have, had to happen in the UFC. And he did that back in 2001. And it's a mistake that we, we can't go one UFC card still without seeing guys make. And he was showing you the playbook in his first fight. Just th there's my perspective on on, on, the, on why the guy's called a prodigy. I mean, dude, it's so true. And I'm really glad you brought up the whole, you know, going down to your back thing because we are going to talk about Alexi Olenek, you know, getting a submission <laughs> from full mount bottom. I mean, that is just the most unheard of thing in MMA history, in my opinion. We're going to get to that in a sec, but, you know, let's cap this off with Yair real quick. I mean, where does he go from here, man? Because, look. I mean, he just beat the legend. You remember when Rory McDonald beat BJ Penn, and, you know, that's when he, you know, he got his name out there by getting the legend under his resume, and then they, they, good, um, they get him up there against the top 10 guys. Well, Yair was already ranked number 10 in the world. He's already beat guys such as Andre Feely, who's a top 15 guy. Now it's time to move up the ladder. So what I'm thinking, Dan, is how about Brian T. City Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez? Uh, that matchup has fun written all over it. I think uh, from surface value, I'm all about that. My only worry would be 
maybe underlining narrative. I think there's I have because I have faith in both guys. So when you have faith in both guys, when both guys are young, um, you kind of don't want to see them face it off till maybe playoff time in their career. If we're using that kind of analogy, you know, the deck right of a still, prospect is what like, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, that would be my only worry, but I like that match off, off face value. Yeah. Here's why I like the matchup, man, and maybe it's a little biased towards the Ayer. The reason I'm, I'm suggesting that is because, okay, let's say they put him up there against a guy like Duho Choi. Well, earlier in this conversation, we were talking about, well, what if it does get into that boxing distance? A guy like Duho Choi can capitalize on the littlest of openings, and then a guy like Cub Swanson might be simply too experienced and seasoned and still somewhat in his prime for a guy like Yair. You know, someone else is going to be like, well, BJ was seasoned and experienced. It's like, yeah, dude, but he's way past his prime. You know, you saw Cub's performance a couple weeks back, right? So the reason I suggest Ortega is because Yair, you know, obviously he's got the clear advantage on the feet. Ortega's got the clear advantage on the mat. That's a clash of styles that really intrigues me. And yeah, you know, someone's O has got to go. It will be the death of a prospect in a sense. But look, man, this is the UFC. I want to see the, the best fight the best. Let's not protect anyone. Let's go see what they got. And the better man's going to move up the rankings. And I'll also say this, the loser won't fall back too far. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, I think uh, I think that could make sense. Um, it's funny you say Cub Swanson because Cub Swanson was the guy I kind of used as a counterpoint. Um, when, you know, this BJ Penn fight was announced, which by the way, again, you're right. I don't think people should criticize Yair. You should be praising Yair. You should be respecting BJ. And if you have any criticism, it should be go to the organization for the matchmaking on that, not toward uh, Rodriguez for or, taking that. Or third. Greg Jackson Obviously for letting him that. answer the bell after this, after that the first too. round. Ooh, yeah. Even BJ looked not sure of himself and he gave a weird look like, <laughs> okay, you know, really animated and very honest and vulnerable. And that's not, that's not, not what you would see from Penn, but, uh, but back to the yeah, your uh, question of potential matchups, um, I think they're going to go more of a trajectory of, uh, of you know, uh, of this trying to feed them more names as far as like guys dropping down, like maybe not Gilbert Melendez, but in that sense, we're going to get 50 guys who made their name at 55 looking for new life, um, you know, and they're going to place them against Yair. I think they tried to do it a little too early and inappropriately because I wasn't a fan of this whole BJ matchup, but I think him versus Cub Swanson may come in handy. Uh, to do this theme of matchup later when it's appropriate, where you really want to show, you know, the the old school cub, the old school dyna dynamicism versus new school dynamicism. That could be, you know, one or two fights away for sure. But but yeah, we'll see. We'll see if that even happens. Definitely. Another thing to be impressed with about Yair is the maturity he showed. Because look, he wasn't starstruck at all that the legend was standing right in front of right right in front of him. He didn't need a second or two to be like. Well, dude, I'm, I'm, I am fighting BJ Penn. Like, you remember when Jimmy Rivera fought uh, Uriah Faber? There, there was none of that, you know? And Uriah yeah. Faber blatantly eye-poked him, kicked him in the groin because he was getting frustrated with the fact that he couldn't do anything in that fight. And a guy like Jimmy, well, it wasn't like, well, you are Uriah Faber. You know, go ahead and take me down and choke me out, right? Well, Yair had none of that either, man. I mean, he was looking for the kill in a way that I've never seen before. And also with his hands. You know, he's always been criticized for, you know, he doesn't have the best hands. But, dude, I saw him setting up that straight to the overhand right, and then he mixed in the kick. So I was impressed with the full package performance by Yair Rodriguez. Yeah, I think we're only seeing glimpses of it. And it, and it really and it, it really sucks that, uh, you know, um, you know, everyone is saying punching bag. But that, that's, that's sadly a kind of a correct analogy because BJ – after, like you said, Daniel, the first kick, he was just circling. And which meant Yair had so much success with his kicks, he really didn't have to go to his punches. But that said, you know, he's doing things that I like to see. Uh, you know, you see guys like Robert Whitaker, guys with that traditional martial arts base do, 
where instead of going that left, right, I have to kick with your right. Now I have to punch with my left, you know, um, more uh, typical Muay Thai, which I'm not, that's not a criticism of Muay Thai, but more speaking on that process. Whereas traditional martial artists, you'll see them kick with their right and they'll kind of land and counterbalance themselves with the right, which also offbeats the timing of what their opponent is expecting because they're expecting a certain rhythm from left to right. And uh, you saw Yair use that offbeat rhythm following his right kick to just come straight down with a punch. Uh, Theodoro does it as well, which is really impressive because Theodoro has no martial arts background. But that was what uh, Rodriguez um, knocked Penn down in that really epic photo of, you know, Goldberg, you know, is one of his most abused phrase, changing of the guard. But that shot where, you know, Rodriguez is landing his right hand and Penn is kind of fading back, like that is the perfect, I don't think there's any more perfect photo in MMA for changing of the guard than that photo. Great point, my man. And you know what? I'm really glad you brought up Robert Whitaker. I love that kid. And I just love seeing these next generation fighters. Robert Whitaker, Christoph Jocko, Kelvin Gastelum. All these guys, you know, in my opinion, they're flying under the radar because... Like we were talking about earlier, people are so hung up in the past and the old guard, you know, you made that reference that they're not seeing the evolution as it's unfolding before our eyes and it's happening every single day. Not every month, not every year, every day, Dan. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, dude, I mean, shit, we can talk about the rest of this card, but since you brought up Whitaker, let's talk about some of these upcoming prospects, man, because, I mean... The UFC, it's, you know, it's on a whole nother level. Like we said with Yair, you know, with Showtime Pettis, it'd be the occasional flash. With Yair Rodriguez, it's flash every five seconds. So who are some other guys we need to look, we need to look out for? Because obviously I mentioned Jocko. I mentioned Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum. Who else, man? You know, it's funny. I, I feel like I'm beating dead horses because a lot of my guys who I had at Dark Horses are, are, are coming out now. Like uh, Shevchenko was a long one for me, and I think she's coming to fruition, which... You know, that one's coming up soon. I'm sure, we, you know, we, we, we could talk about – we'll be talking about that soon enough. Um, and then with Robert Whitaker, you know, he's – I said him because he's been one of my long dark horses too uh, since he moved up to middleweight. Uh, you know, I kind of root for guys, you know, moving up in weight as opposed to moving down. You want to see them do better for health reasons, for, you know, the same reasons why we, why we like the aforementioned BJ Penn. We like seeing, you know, uh, people come through adversity, but, but his style is really translating. And he's uh, got some interesting matchups ahead of him. Um, you know, as, 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 as far as middleweight goes, but you can really, it's like Yair Rodriguez right now. We could really switch out his opponent, the B side, and we're going to be happy. We're going to have a nice playable record and it's going to make some nice groovy tracks. You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent, my man. So on the same card, the Phoenix card, because that's what we're supposed to talk about. And we keep getting off, right, off right. topic for good reason. Cause I mean, it's such exciting times in the sport right now but you know there were some controversial decisions with Lozon and Held, Saunders and McGee but you know we, we, we can skip that everyone can form their own opinion of who won that fight but let's talk about Sergio Pettis versus John Moraga man I, I I gotta tell you what I am so impressed with this kid Sergio Pettis because look a lot of people they have this expectation of oh you know he, he's not like his brother and you're 100% correct he's not like his brother when you think about Anthony Pettis you think about a guy with unbelievable taekwondo kicks and a very good Muay Thai body kick as well and then you think about his jiu-jitsu off his back you don't talk about Anthony Pettis's offensive wrestling you don't talk about Anthony Pettis's mm -hmm. hands with Sergio Pettis the kid's the complete package he's hurting dudes with his hands and I'm not talking about the time when he dropped Chris Carriasso I'm talking about the time 
when he almost knocked out John Moraga in the first round. One does not simply rock John Moraga in the first round. That's what Sergio Pettis did. And, I mean, he's mixing up his game. You try to kick this kid, he's going to catch that kick, sweep you, put you on your butt. And, once again, he's just a kid. He's 23, 24. He might even be younger than that, Dan. And we're seeing him grow before our eyes. His only losses in the UFC were fights that he was winning. And it was, you know, a simple... It was a matter of concentration. It wasn't a matter of, you know... Uh, Bruce Leroy or uh, or Ryan Benoit were simply better fighters. You know, props to them on getting the victory because in the UFC, you'll take a win by any means necessary, even if it's a DQ. But in those specific spots and scenarios, you know, Serge was clearly winning those fights. He just lost his concentration. I mean, when you're 19, 20, 21, you're fighting in the UFC against guys that you watch on your TV and you're whooping their ass that first round, you come back for the second, you know, I, I can I can only imagine the level of concentration you need to, to keep that going. But now he's putting it together. The one criticism I have, and you know, I, I'm a dude sitting on a chair talking about someone else, you know, that fights for a living, right? But my one criticism is he kind of leaves that chin straight in the air. I wish he would tuck that chin. Cause you know, when I had that bet on Sergio, I was like, keep that chin tucked, move your head, you know? Like he can hear me, right? It was some uh, Edmund Tarverdian shit. Head movement, head movement, but head movement. <laughs> but on the real man, I am blown away by Sergio Pettis, and I will go as far as saying that he has a higher ceiling than his brother. I, I second you one hundred percent, and I even wrote that. Uh, I, I even wrote that in my breakdown because I, I it, it, we were talking about this uh, before off air, uh, off air, Daniel, the, the negative narrative cloud that is so easy to get attached, right? And Sergio, like you said, uh, he has mistakes here or there, but he's having to learn on the biggest stage under an extended magnifying glass because he's Anthony Pettis' brother, hence that kind of negative narrative cloud. So if one brother does bad, we see it in MMA all the time, the other brother gets lumped in with that, where guys like me and you, we almost welcome these negative narrative clouds because we tell everybody, keep throwing your money and looking up in the air while we're working with the facts down here because the facts are uh, Sergio Pettis is translating it much better. You know, the, the chin in the air thing, that's kind of an interesting note because that's something that I've been kind of looking at as to why. And as somebody, you know, again, that comes from that, you know, sport karate and taekwondo um, background, uh, we, we, we tend to leap in, in and out with attacks a lot. And even though kind of like Frank Muir said, the Achilles heel traditional martial arts is it lack the physical applications and sparring of boxing and kickboxing. That's why the early days, you know, we just saw those guys get washed, right, whenever they got in with real boxers or kickboxers. But the one positive that's always held true is that, you know, I use the term distance management or pocket awareness um, and things like that. You get those things inherently by just, you know, like I said, I don't have a, a major record of amateur fights. It's not long at all. It's very, very short. But from throwing punches and kicks and having punches and kicks thrown at me since 1992 or 93, you tend to, you know, get a sense of space. And I would use that to kind of protect myself and stay safe. And uh, it was something I would lean on a lot as I was kind of learning and competing in other different types of martial arts or something. That was the one thing that would translate. Now, other guys don't translate it that well, right? We've seen how many guys fail. You know, not everybody's a Stephen Thompson. But what I like about Sergio Pettis is not only is he, he doing it effectively, he's doing it in more of a traditional boxing sense. He's, he's using pulls and returns like TJ Dillashaw or he's using feints to, you know, a DC send the commentary fade. But pull, pull the strikes out, draw them out, and then he'll return strikes with fire. So he's parlaying the in and out movement with boxing fundamentals and that is why I think he's going to succeed that is why I think he has a higher ceiling than his um, brother and a pretty high ceiling uh, more than people give him so I'm very excited a uh, long-winded answer on why I like Sergio Pettis but it's that thing that he does right there that represents um, how well he's translating I really like it a lot 
Definitely. The ceiling is very high for Sergio Pettis. And for me, you know, you're talking about your Taekwondo background. I'm going to talk about, you know, my Muay Thai background. That's why I criticize the chin in the air because we like to keep our chins tucked. Really? You know, we're flat-footed. We walk you down. We throw heavy leg kicks. You know how it is. Conor McGregor likes to make fun of the Muay Thai style. All stationary, flat-footed. It's like, yeah, right. you know, on paper, <laughs> th those words, you know, they sound funny. But when you're actually in there with a Muay Thai guy and he's throwing a hard-ass leg kick and you don't know what hit you, then you're like, well, shit, you know, maybe uh, maybe the stationary thing's not so bad, right? But, you know, back to Sergio, man. He's unbelievable, but the, the reason that I do kind of have a problem with the chin in the air is because the right punch is going to put him down, man. I mean, that that's the bottom line. Moraga almost got it a couple times. There were some serious oh-shit moments when Moraga cracked that check left hook. So, you know, that being said, let's say he does tuck his chin and he takes it to the temple or the nose. That could still sit him down, but I think the chances increase with the chin in the air. What, what, what do you think, Dan? Uh, absolutely, and, and I guess that was my, my other point to that too. And, and you know, you're absolutely right. I think we don't have to look further than Shogun versus you know uh, Machida. Both fights to prove your point from whether it strikes or leg kicks, top or bottom, or the effectiveness, the effectiveness of Muay Thai in those. But I guess what I'm saying is, I don't think you can. I, I think this is a, a rare either or, as in, um, and, you know, you would understand this because obviously you strike. You've done you've done a lot of martial arts. You have experience in, in, in rooms yourself, and, and anybody listening who has will, will probably get this too. But if you were assuming a basic, you know, Muay Thai or boxing stance, you know, your, your shell, your, your, your shoulders are, are, you know, are up a bit, your, your chin's tucked, uh, you know, whatever kind of variation of the fundamental, you know, you're using more of a traditional uh, boxing or Thai boxing guard, right? And now, you know, put yourself there and move kind of forward and backward and you feel like, okay, unless I, I put myself out of position, you have to take small steps, right? And kind of keep your feet under you. That's fundamental. All good. Now, when you're utilizing the lancing, you know, in and out, in and out, kind of a, a, a long, you know, jumping in, jumping back. When you're doing that, you can do that. But now someone told you to, okay, do that, jump in and out of attack range, but keep your chin tucked and keep everything. It would really shorten up your movements. It would make them much more stiff. Uh, it would shorten, you know, everything up. It would make everything much more telling. So what I'm saying is not that either one side is right or one side is wrong, but I do think it's a trade-off. I think even if uh, Sergio or whoever made it a point to be like, okay, I'm going to keep this in and out style, but I'm going to keep my chin tucked the whole time. It would look awkward as crap. Um, they wouldn't get the natural flow that kind of comes off uh, from, 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 from those movements. We see it personified no better than Dominic Cruz, right? Even though his hooks and stuff are unorthodox and fundamentally incorrect, he's working off an economy of motion more than fundamentals, and he's depending on that economy of motion to push his flow and effectiveness through. Um, so it's just two different schools of thought, uh, of, of thought and that's why that's why it's a beautiful game, man. That's why it's a beautiful game. We're seeing everybody build these little race cars and take little engine parts from each other. And no, I want to take this tire from this guy, but we'll use this guy's engine. And man, I've lost track of where everything started now, man. It's we're just we're just so deep into this crazy game. Dude, that's such a fantastic point. And you know, I think a guy that really mixes mixes a hybrid of those two styles is someone that we were talking about earlier, Robert Whitaker. You know, when I first saw this kid. I thought he was a boxer. You know, he keeps that left hand down. I was like, dude, this guy's a boxer, right? And then you see him throw a head kick out of nowhere, and you see his in-and-out movement. I found out he was a karate guy. So he's one of the first, in my opinion, to really blend it all together because, you know, I don't really see him, you know, squaring up his stance, and, you know, I'm never like, chin down, Robert, chin down. He's always doing everything correctly. So is that kind of like the new style, or is that just, uh, you know simply Robert Whitaker style because I mean dude he really puts it together in a way that I feel like we haven't seen in a while 
you fucking nailed it. And I know we're now we're back. Everyone's going to accuse us of being, you know, Whitaker Marks because we just circled back to him like for the second time. But <laughs> you, 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 you nailed it. Really. I mean, um, you know, kind of building off uh, something at least that interests me, that theory of can you keep your head down doing these styles? You know, how, how far in the middle can you meet? What is that perfect middle point? Man, I don't I can't think of a better example. Robert Whitaker, he really does that. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that Brad Tavares knockout. Uh, and, I'm, you know, obviously, I love Brad Tavares, extreme couture guy. But that was really just a, a beautiful knockout because you saw him do that similar thing I was talking about that. Yeah, you're not BJ down where he kind of works a hook off the kick. And uh, yeah, I mean, just in that combination, that finish alone, you can go look back at it. You see the traditional martial arts fundamentals melded with the boxing fundamentals. And just the way he moves, you know, whether he's parlaying that kind of Philly shell guard, whether he's using that to increase his takedown defense or or make his check hook, which I think it makes him that much more effective because you don't see the angle. Yeah, he's low and it's defensively a little vulnerable there, but it also makes that check hook more harder to see. It comes over the shoulder and, you know, you don't need me to tell you the strikes you don't see are the ones that hurt the most. <laughs> yeah, tell that to my boy David K. But Dan, real quick, Ooh. you know, you brought up such a great point, you know. Yair Rodriguez, his finish against BJ Penn was similar to Robert's finish against Brad Tavares. There was one fundamental difference, though. When Robert Whitaker threw the finishing combo, so he threw a back leg front kick to the... That's to right, the yes. Right. And with that, Yair, yes. it was the same side. But that goes to show you that, you know, there's not just one way of doing things. You can mix it up all kinds of ways. Because, you know, traditional Muay Thai will tell you, you know, you go one, two, three, then throw the right leg kick, right? But now... What I like, you know, seeing guys do is, you know, they throw the one-two, and then on that same side that they throw the two, they blind the head kick that's coming around. So it's almost like they're blending the different styles of martial arts together, being more deceiving, being more deceptive, and really masking it in an effective way. Absolutely. And it almost trips me out more the fact that that kick was from the back leg because of the way he was able to propel. Like, you think the natural motion when you throw a hard tie kick from your power side is to come down with a check hook, right? That kind of seems more than motion, but he almost came forward with this hook, which is even more mind-boggling. And good, I, don't look to me to explain that one, my friend, because that, that was just amazing. Well, real quick, Anderson Silva's fighting Derek Brunson. I, I got to know one thing, real quick here, Dan. Are we about to see uh, Derek Brunson on a hands-down, chin-up suicide mission, or are we about to see a three-round grind, Derek Brunson? Because I mean, look, it would be a smart idea to go out there and give yourself the most chance of winning, which would be to grind out Anderson for three. But at the same time, you know how fight week is. You know when everyone, you know, all your friends are hitting you up, you're fighting Anderson Silva, plus you're coming off, you know, four straight first round knockout wins, plus the one knockout loss where you got a fight of the night for a reason. You're now known as a knockout artist and you're, you're formerly a wrestler, right? You know how it goes when these wrestlers right. fall in love with their knockout art, with their knockout power. They think they're knockout artists now. Is, is Derek going to think he's a knockout artist against Anderson Silva? Now, I know it's not the same Anderson Silva that, you know, in the 16, you know, the 16 straight uh, wins and the 10 title defense. I know it's not that guy anymore, but look, this is still a guy that went the full distance with the current middleweight champ and the current light heavyweight champ. So despite him being 41, Anderson's still a gamer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my first my first instinct, my first image of this fight, and maybe, you know, for the people listening, maybe you yourself, uh, it, it, might, it was it your first image of this fight when it was announced, was uh, a cross between uh, Weidman, Silva 1, and Brunson and Hall. Um, but now that I think about it more, and actually now that I heard this interview from uh, Brunson, I, I believe on Ariel's show, the MMA Hour yesterday, he, uh, he was comparing this fight to the Chris Lieben fight. 
in the sense of it was a, it was, it was, it was a big name, a bigger name than he was used to at, at, at that point of his resume. Um, it was short notice, which that one was short notice as well. And I believe he was coming off a loss and at least needed to win. That's for that's for dang sure. Uh, so that leads me to believe the way he was kind of talking in the interview that, that we're going to see repeat that we're going to see what what you said more the latter the grinding uh, Derek Brunson. Uh, that doesn't mean he's not going to get the finish because again this is like like you said again this is a different Anderson Silva sadly right. So I mean the, the finish could could very well happen, but uh, I, mixed with mixed with his uh, admission to faults in a Robert Whitaker fight last time out and him comparing it to you know comparing it to. His leaving fight, which is actually smart, it makes sense. I mean, that would be the smart game plan to be more of a you know a grinding approach. Um, yeah, we could we we could see somewhat of a version of that DC Silva UFC 200 fight. Man, I, I hope they stand and bang though, just for the fans' sake <laughs> Me too. and for the fact that it'll you know put the odds a little bit more in Anderson's favor. I mean, come on, we all want Anderson and Silva to win that fight, right? And it's nothing against Derek oh yeah, Johnson. I'll be for him. great guy, great fighter. But it's Anderson Silva, right? You know, and it's funny. You know, it's funny saying that coming from a guy that bet a lot of money on Yair to beat BJ Penn, right? I didn't have much sentimental value there. <laughs> but this this spot's a little bit different because I feel like Anderson's still competitive, man. Yeah, I mean, he, he is in that middleweight division, man. I mean, they can from middleweight to heavyweight, you can go competitive much longer. And that was, you know, the sad realization with BJ, as great as he was, and even guys like Anderson considered Anderson considered BJ Penn the greatest fighter. I mean, for what that's worth. But we've seen it before. When you rely on reactive and counter games, you're going to typically fade faster. Now, when you rely on your speed and activity and your counter game at a lower weight class, you're the first. To, you're the first to go, my friend. And we saw that amongst the legends. And then that's why he went out a lot faster. And that's why you can justify the opinion that you have about Anderson Silva, which I agree. He can still be competitive. Could that be a little bit of fandom from both of our sides? Sure. But I, I do know. I honestly, I, I do think he can be competitive. I will be rooting for him. And uh, I look forward to really dissecting this one as, as it gets closer when I get to really dive into tape study. No, but uh, I mean, compliment your point, man. Roy Jones Jr. I mean, where else do we need to look? The guy had yeah. all the physical tools, all the speed, all the gifts. I mean, he'd put his hands behind his back and make people look absolutely stupid. But we all know speed's the first thing to go. And once those reflexes start slowing down a little bit, you know, that's when you start getting knocked out by guys that you shouldn't be knocked out by. And, but power's the last thing to go. Anderson's got some power, man. I mean, you recall him dropping multiple dudes. Not, I'm not just talking about a front kick to the face against Vitor. I'm talking about jabs against Okami, against Forrest Griffin. And then we can go back to the flying knee against uh, the current middleweight champ, Michael Bisming. I mean, Anderson still, he can still put you away if you're not paying attention, man. Yeah, his body kick too. I mean, uh, I was sitting in the stands. Uh, granted, I was really high up and very intoxicated, so I might have been hearing things. But uh, I heard that body kick land from high in the stands at UFC 200 DC, and, and DC would later go on to say in an interview that that buckled him. He had to keep his poker face like he was legitimately hurt from that. I mean, it was a liver side, as you know, especially in, in, in Muay Thai. The most the most powerful kick is as much as a shin in the head can change anybody's life. Uh, doesn't matter how good your chin is, no one could take a liver kick, you know. And uh, Anderson has all these, uh, still has all the same tools. You're right, and that has to be respected. Man, and speaking of which, that fight, you know, he took on two days short notice, no training camp, coming off a gallbladder surgery. Post, yeah, and he and he was still able to to hurt DC. Now, you know, one could make the argument, you know, DC let him survive. You know, DC is a nice guy, but look, man, DC is a a fucking competitor, man. So. I'm not yep. going to really put too much stock into that theory, and I will go as far as saying that Derek Brunson's going to come out here. He's going to give it all he's got. Will that be enough? That remains to be seen. But, Dan, 
Augusto Tanquino Mendez and Frankie Sainz. I mean, those two put it all on the line. And, you know, when you get oh two gosh. warriors like that and, you know, all your friends at the house are standing up, everyone's going crazy. You know, th that's what the UFC is all about. Fights like that, man. And, uh, you know, props to both those warriors. It could have gone either way. I had money on Augusto Mendez, but, you know, before the decision was nice. read, I, I told my friends, look, you know, I, I think Frankie Signs won, but, you know, much respect to both warriors. And then Augusto got his arm raised. I was like, all right, I'll take it, man. But, you know, it, it, it's beyond the money. It's the fight itself. You know, both guys got dropped. Both guys got wobbled. Both guys showed their heart and will to win throughout the duration of the 15-minute fight. And for that reason, it was the fight of the night. And uh, I will definitely be going back to watch that one again sometime soon. Same here. Uh, I'm really excited about uh, Augusto Mendez. I couldn't quite... Uh you know, uh, lay on him. Uh, although I picked signs, I, I actually had, you know, I, I was obviously, I picked signs and I thought Augusto won, but I was with you as close. Could have gone either way. I was just really, really impressed with Augusto. I'm glad they got fight of the night. Cause a guy like signs probably doesn't have that many more performances in him. If you know, these last three fights were telling of anything, not, and not to criticize the guy's chin, but you know, you're getting older, you have a lot of wear and you're getting repeatedly rocked. Uh, you're an older guy fighting in a lighter weight class. I mean, he kind of already had the odds stacked against him coming in with his unlikely run to get to get him to Faber. So I'm glad there's some payoff for signs here for a guy that, you know, never had that high of a ceiling in the first place. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. But uh, Mendez showed the examples of everything you wanted to see. The reason why I wanted to play him but didn't, but the reason why other people played him, and props to you guys, by the way, um, was because you could see that this wasn't going to be just a jiu-jitsu guy that falls flat. There was something there. Um, not just his willingness to strike because a lot of guys have willingness to strike and it ended up just being a willingness to eat punches, right? But he actually, you know, he's, he's throwing the check hooks. He's, he, he's stalking, he's fainting, he's keeping his feet under him. He's throwing with power. Um, he's staying calm in the pocket. He's keeping his eyes on his opponent. He's doing all these little things you really want to see. And he's coming from a good camp to do it. So I'm excited to see things from, uh, Augusto Mendez. If I could say anything, um, I maybe a little more of an urgency and transition. I mean, He's a lighter guy. This was a, a more full camp. You know, he didn't take it on short notice like the Garbrandt fight. So a guy like that, I want to see him, you know, really uh, jumping for backs and, and kind of making that happen more when he has guys against the cage tired or hurt. Other than that, man, I was I was so happy and, and so entertained watching this fight. Man, I think it's just a matter of experience because it was only like his sixth or seventh pro fight. Yeah, and, you know, absolutely. On, on paper, it's D1 wrestler and Frankie Signs versus Jiu-Jitsu World Champion in Augusto Tonquino Mendez. So that element alone was cool. You know, usually when you get grappler yeah. versus grappler, they stand and bang for three straight rounds, right? But one thing I like about Augusto Tonquino Mendez is that, you know, when you talk about a lot of a lot of these jiu-jitsu guys, you know, they pull guard, they flop to their backs when things aren't going well, right? There was none of that with Augusto Mendez, man. He was pushing forward the entire time, and his takedown style was that of a wrestler. So... I really like that, man. It was almost a hybrid jiu-jitsu style. You know, on the mat, obviously. You recall that Cody Garbrandt fight. Remember when it hit the mat for one second and he immediately attacked Uma Plata? I mean, that, that shows you the high level there. But the fact that he's able to take down a D1 wrestler, you know, from standing, he took him down. That's a big yeah. statement in itself, my man. It is huge. And it's and it, 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 it's a major... It, it, it's the major thing you want to see, you know, not just wrestling. It's, you know, it's the best uh, martial art for a base and all that good stuff. But like what you're talking about, specifics here, you're talking about a jiu-jitsu guy coming into MMA. You want to see that wrestling. Damian Maya knew this, and you saw him start adjusting this real fast past the first quarter of his career. We saw that turn, right? He's like, oh, he collected that information. I'm getting lit up no matter how much I improve. I need to make my plan B a plan A, and I need to make it stronger. 
Um, so that's good. But I just, I just, I, the reason why I see the transitionary, and yeah, it's a six fight, so it's not even a hard criticism by any means. But the, the only reason why I emphasize the transition game because in watching his transitions and in, in his no gi, especially uh, more than the gi, because of the nature of the sport or what and, and whatnot, um, he's a really good transition guy. That's why he's one of those jujitsu guys that can transition MMA because he was able to transition in no gi so well. And I just, you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, he starts to pick up some more of those tricks so we get to see it selfishly just because I, I love grappling, I love jujitsu, and I love watching Tokino's game. And I would like to see it, you know, uh, in, in an MMA setting with punches and guys, you know, trying to resist and all that. And, and, and it just comes down to the transitions. I think uh, no matter how good of the wrestling you can get, no matter how good of the jujitsu you can get, we're starting to see that um, as this game, as everybody gets better. Even in guys like Maya's game, his wrestling's gotten it down now. Yeah, sure. But it's that transition. It's that half guard play where he knows how to strike and he knows as soon as a guy turtles, it's going to ride him right into his back mount. I mean, it's those little spaces. And, and Tokino, I think, could take advantage of a lot of guys if he can get it there. So excited for the future for him. Yeah, I definitely think he's going to progress, obviously, as the years go forward. But, you know, one thing I want to say is, okay, so he did get that takedown, right? But fights don't end when you get a takedown. You know, what happens after that? Does the guy get back up? Does he try to pull guard? You know, what happens next? So... Tanquinho took down the D1 wrestler, and the D1 wrestler popped right back up. Now, in a lot of situations, that would have mentally broke Mendez because he's like, man, you know, what am I going to do now? I can't hold him down. But for him, he was like, look, I'm going to keep trying until I get my arm raised. That, to me, is a sign of a world champion. I'm not saying that he's going to be a future world champion. I'm just saying he has the mindset of a world champion to not be discouraged by the fact that, hey, I couldn't hold him down. I'm going to keep trying to fight. I'm going to keep trying to win. And then when he got dropped with that elbow, he didn't quit there either. So this guy's as tough as they come. I'll tell you that right now, Dan. I, I agree. And yeah, not just not not just the takedown, which you're right. How many how many jujitsu guys have we seen? Not just I'm not picking on jujitsu guys here, but um, guys who really want to get it to the mat. As soon as they fail to get that takedown, you almost see it just switch off. Like I'll see it in fights. You'll see that one crucial point where it's really close. You're like, if this guy can defend this takedown, he has a chance of winning, and then they usually nine times out of ten don't end up on their back, and you're like, oh shucks, you know. Or if they get up, like you said, they'll break a lot of times, and and he didn't. And signs his best strikes are elbows in the clinch. He's a mean uh, mother effort from there. And yeah, Tokino took it, and it didn't discourage him. And that's that's definite up check marks in my book for for Tokino. Yeah, and we're definitely not picking on jujitsu guys. I mean, both of us obviously have, no, have a love for jujitsu. But I will say this: yeah. the jujitsu guys that usually mentally break, I've noticed, are the leg lock guys because leg locks are some of the most dangerous submissions in the game. I mean, if you can't defend one of those, dude, you're gonna be out six months to a year. You know what I mean? But if you do escape it, if you do fight the hands, you do turn out, you are able to get back up to your feet. You know, they're kind of like, fuck. And we've seen this over and over again. You know, Tokino um, Palharis, you know, that was the first guy I really noticed it with. Even Marcin Held, you know, you noticed it in Bellator, you noticed it in the Diego Sanchez fight. He'd get these deep leg locks, but the fact that Diego was able to get out of it, man, you know, it kind of discouraged him. And we can also talk about, you know, the Mexican elevation too, but we'll put that on the back burner <laughs> since I saw that exact scenario take place in Bellator too. But. I, I just feel like with a lot of the leg lock guys, you know, it's uh, it's first round leg lock or bust. I mean, Ian Entwistle, that's a perfect example there for you. But with Tanquinho Mendez, you know, he's not one of these flop to your back kind of guys. I mean, he's going to use offensive wrestling to get you down so he can implement his world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah, absolutely. He's not wasting any time. Uh, you know, I mean, as you'd like to see fighters at this day and age, there's enough information out there of guys making the transition that 
at least, you know, on paper, you should know what kind of fat to trim. And it looks like uh, Tokino's trimmed that fat over the MMA lab. He's not wasting his time with the things you said, you know, needlessly or, or getting into needless entanglements. Uh, it, it's, it's measured and, and it's all based to be on top as it should in MMA. Now, Dan, we were talking about jiu-jitsu. So, I mean, it's only fitting that we talk about Alexi Olenek versus Victor Pesta. I mean... Where do we start, man? A guy in the UFC got tapped out from full mount on top, not on bottom, on top with a gi choke, an Ezekiel choke. I mean, we only see Ezekiel chokes in gi jiu-jitsu. I've personally never seen it in an MMA fight. Obviously, it's no gi. You're not wearing a shirt. I mean, is that the first time you've ever seen anything like that, Dan? I've seen it on records before, like looking through. But yeah, nothing that I can recall, much less that I... Much less at a high level, no, no. And in the gym, I've seen Ezekiel chokes, but I've never seen one with a guy full mounted getting tapped out like that. Man, it, it was just unbelievable. But, you know, to Alexi Olenek's credit, if you go back and you look at his record, watch some of his old fights, I mean, this dude's got submission wins via, you know, uh, playground uh, headlock. You know what I'm saying? He scarf-holded yeah. uh, Mirko Krokop and a bunch of other guys. And, you know, when you get someone in a scarf hold, you know, there's a way to get out of that. You know, you try to take the person's back. But this dude is so damn strong that he's able to choke people out with a move like that. And that's not even known as a finishing move. Now, obviously, the Ezekiel choke is 100% a finishing move. But when you're on the bottom of full mount and you're able to pull it off, I mean, that's an automatic 50K bonus where I come from, man. Absolutely, man. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, I'm a fan of Olenek style. Uh, obviously, the Ezekiel choke is more of a specialty choke because if you look at his long gator arms, I mean, that's that's not something that you also have to just you know have a taste for and an intelligence for. You also have to have a frame for. But like you said, with the scarf folds and stuff like that, like that's the kind of stuff that I like off Olenek style because I come from more of the catch style uh, uh, from uh, Neil Melanson. And granted, Neil's so damn big that he can lay on you any way which way you can. You're gonna want to tap, but. I've really felt, you know, guys like that doing what, you know, Barnett did to Lister and and, and, and just the control from a scarf hold alone. Forget the, uh, you know, the more notable trans uh, submissions that people more more recognizable, I should say, uh, submissions from there. But but yeah, it, it actually kind of reminded me of the Marcelo team in theory because it, it caught me by surprise at first. I didn't I didn't quite catch it at first, too. Granted, I was, you know, in a car driving to California watching from my phone. But, uh, you know, on, on second watch, it reminded me of almost a Marcelo teen as far as the principle in the trap. Um, you know, guillotine, anytime you, you, you get a guillotine, you'll see guys pass to side control because that diffuses the guillotine, right? You get your hips on the opposite side of the side of your neck. Uh, that's kind of the rule of thumb. Well, when you have, you know, a high elbow guillotine, elbow over the shoulder or Marcelo teen uh, variation, you're kind of cutting off both sides of the neck. So not only does the passing the side control not get you out of the choke, but it actually clamps it on tighter. And you'll see guys not recognize this because they're just so used to always passing the side control to get out that they'll put themselves out. And that's what uh, Olenek was baiting. You could see him baiting the mount. And as soon as he came in, it made it it made it made tighter. You know, he tried to force the leverage from some other points. He even dropped to his back with the Ezekiel early on and, and kind of failed at that. Although I think he hit that early in his career. But, yeah, it was really slick, you know. Just the same principle as Noguera versus Tim Sylvia, you know. He lets him out from bottom only to fall into the guillotine. So really, really slick stuff from Olenek. Definitely. And, I mean, who do you want to see Olenek fight next? For me personally, check, check this out. And a lot of people are going to think this is a stupid matchup, but... What I kind of want to see, man, I wouldn't mind seeing Olenek for someone like Josh Barnett. Now, let me defend myself here before everyone comes in hard on me and says, oh, but Daniel Omelanchuk outgrappled Olenek for three rounds, so what makes you think that Josh Barnett wouldn't? Well, look, 
Props to Daniel Omelancha for being the first man in UFC history to get a Meldonium exception in his fight. I mean, hey, he was able to get that done. Props to you, man. I, I, I wish all these other dudes could get, you know, a juice exception. But look, the reality here is that Alexi was coming off a two to three year layoff in that fight. His opponent's juice to the gills. It is what it is. But when Alexi, you know, he's fresh. Now he's coming off a good win. He's had two fights recently. You know, he, he's back in form, right? With a guy like Barnett, man, I can only imagine the grappling exchanges they would have. But, you know, if that fight's not going to happen because Barnett's too big of a name, what about Strew versus Olenek? That sounds really fun, actually. Uh, I would really like that because I, I, I'm i one of those guys that, that thinks, uh, you know, Strew has kind of, you know, he hasn't had the best performances. I mean, now hopefully he's starting to turn that around, but for a while there. But I, I've always been a big fan of his ground game and, uh, you know, not to plug my former ground coach again, but he was working with uh, Neil Melanson, who's kind of a perfect guy for him because Neil's like 6'5". So Struve, being as tall as he is, he's not going to have a lot of training partners, much less coaches that can work with him. And Neil's also a guy who, you know, he has a whole book on triangle chokes. Um, that's that's his thing. So he, his style would translate really well to Struve. So I've really been wanting to see, you know, Struve be able to show this now that he's been working with Neil for a couple years to see what he has there. I think the Olenek fight could make some fun transitions. Um, I also think, you know, I don't know if Gonzaga is still around, but that would seem like kind of a match they would try to put uh, Olenek with. Or even, uh, you know, you know, if Jared Roshalt was still around, I would say this, you know, I would say put put, put them together, you know, again, or put put them together and uh, it would make, it would, you know, kind of force a, a boring guy. Um, sorry, I tried to pick on Jared Roshalt. I guess that's why I use his name. You know, you, you, you force Olenek a boring, guy, boring guy against Olenek. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. But I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is you get a boring heavyweight or a heavyweight that you're not really getting the results from. You put him against a guy like Olenek, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and it's going to make an exciting fight. So if they don't want to do a name kind of thing with Olenek, like a Struve, which I, I'm a big fan of, I'd say you know you you, you spice up your you know your remaining roster because let's, let's 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 be honest, Daniel, heavyweight's got a lot of guys we're not excited about, right? So we need to at least make the best of what we got and at least make some exciting matchups for these guys like Olenek to build off of, even if he's not going to get to a title. A hundred percent. Now you know the fight that kicked off the FS1 prelims was Tony Martin versus Alex White. Now, I took the plus 220 shot on Alex White, and hey, props to Tony Martin. He was the better man that, na that night. Now, I don't make any excuses. However, I do firmly believe that with a different referee, there would have been a different result. And what I mean by that is, you recall the first round, you know, Tony Martin, he did exactly what he wanted to do. He took him down, you know, he passed, he, he looked for the Kimura, he almost got it. Alex White survived the first round. Usually when you survive the first round with Tony Martin, you're good to go. Then the second round, you know, starts and man, Tony is gassed. And you know, he, he was just like, listen, I'm going to push him up against the fence for the next 10 minutes and not do anything at all. And Alex White, who's coming up from 45, you know, he wasn't strong enough to make that separation. It sucks. It is what it is. He lost fair and square. However, I strongly believe if Big John McCarthy or Herb Dean was refing that fight, they, they would have made a bunch of separations because you recall the one real striking exchange that White and Martin had. White dropped Martin. So Martin wanted nothing to do with the striking exchanges. But with that said, he was the smarter man and he got the victory. Much respect to Tony Martin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like kind of, like kind of, I was saying, I was a, uh, I was on, uh, driving from California to Vegas uh, during this fight, and thankfully my girlfriend was driving, and thankfully Fox Sports Go app was like crystal clear on my phone. But I thought it kept freezing because I'm like, dude, this keeps lagging. Like these guys are stuck against the cage. Like kept tapping my phone. I'm like, oh shit, it's not lagging. This actually has just been going on for ten minutes. Okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, I'm with you there. I think you know to. Uh, you know, Alex White's credit, you know, uh, I, 
the reason why I couldn't pick Alex White, he was one of those guys like Mendes. When this first got announced, I'm like, there's no way Sainz should be this big of a favorite. There's no way Martin should be this big of a favorite. And I just started thinking underdog. But, you know, as we do, we, 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 we don't just jump into our plays. I don't. You don't. We do our research. And when I was researching, the one thing that kept me away, I wanted to back Alex White so much that kept me away, it was just the lack of urgency. And, you know, to his credit, again, it was short notice for Alex White. But it just was the lack of urgency. And even though, you know, Tony Martin did, doesn't have a good takedown, the best takedowns, much less the best takedown percentage, you know, if you look at, um, you know, his stats on that, he's able to kind of create scrambles, you know. The same, the same criticism you can say about Tony Martin, how he puts himself out of position with his aggressiveness when he's closing the distance. We've seen him get him, get him tagged and countered. Well, that same kind of urgency and that kind of same, uh, you know, that same energy forces scrambles a lot where, where that's how Tony Martin ends up getting to the ground where, you know, he wasn't able to in this fight, but I thought that was going to make the difference. He got obviously stuck against the cage for the last two rounds, um, but, you know, he was apologetic. I think he said he was dealing with something like some type of, I don't know if it was eye poke or a broken foot. I, I honestly don't know. I'm not trying to make broken excuses cup. for the guy. His cup broke oh, in the wow. first round, bro. Like, and they had to switch it out which we've never seen before. And you can only imagine, I mean, in training, it'd be bad enough to have a broken cup. I can only imagine what it's like in the UFC's octagon, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I've seen a cup fall out before, which is funny, but that, yeah, broken cup, that, yeah, that's the first that I've heard of, wow. Yeah, crazy shit. Well, okay then. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right, and uh, you know, Nina Ansaroff, I was so happy for her to get that big victory over Jocelyn Jones Lieberger, you know. And then that moment she had with the with her girlfriend, the champ Amanda Nunes, that that was a priceless moment. I'm really happy for Nina Ansaroff. But you know who stole the show on the on the Fight Pass prelims? Walt Harris, man. Look, this is a guy who he's always been super athletic. You know, he's always had the knockout power. It's just it, it seems like he wasn't able to put it together mentally in my mind. You know, like he'd have a strong first round and then he'd fade kind of ordeal. Here he had a strong first round. He comes out in the second, and that combination he landed, you know, usually when guys go for a tie clinch knee, they leave it at just that. He goes for the tie clinch knee, and then he follows up with three shots, with three punches, and he sits him down. I was blown away, and if this is an indicator of things to come, look out for Walt Harris, because, I mean, that dude can crack, and especially when he believes in himself like he did Saturday night, Sunday night. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people criticize, oh, maybe he's just, you know, oh, big and athletic, but, you know, it's his chin because, you know, he he came and he had a rough start, right? But I would disagree. I think we saw we saw him take some some tough shots in his in his last few fights and uh it didn't it didn't seem to dissuade him. I thought he took it well, and we only saw him get better. We only saw him start to find his rhythm and and find his target more as the fight went on. Granted, that's that was kind of the knock on Chase Sherman, which is why I couldn't couldn't back him in this uh fight as the dog because uh you know, he's like a Sherman tank, like his name would suggest, but the adjustments in the head movement are, are like a tank too. They're not they're not very much. It kind of just comes forward, right? That being said, take nothing away. That was beautiful. I, I said uh, it reminded me, the finish reminded me of Rousey versus Alexis Davis in the sense of the knee punch. And even though, you know, Rousey uses her hook more as a kind of a cuffing Irish collar to set up her her, 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 uh, her tosses, but and, and whereas, you know, Walt actually just threw the hook off it and just clocked Sherman. Uh, it reminded me of that because it's just that that economy of, of of movement and motion and targeting everything so perfectly in the pocket down the center like that. That that was beautiful. A hundred percent. And for me, you know, with Walt Harris, it's not really a chin issue like a lot of people think because at heavyweight, all it takes is one punch, my man. I mean, we've seen pretty much yep. every heavyweight get knocked out. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's Kane, 
Fabricio, Junior Dos Santos, even Stipe Miocic. It does not matter. One shot is all it takes at heavyweight. So, yeah, you know, I, I don't hold, you know, the knockout losses against him in terms of his chin. I just felt like, you know, maybe he got a little bit discouraged if a fight went past round one. But now, you know, with him, he's also a young guy. He's only 25, 26. So he's putting it together now. And with that athleticism, I mean, there's a chance he could go far, dude. Because, I mean, that was a vicious knockout. And you saw Chase Sherman go all three rounds in altitude against Justin Ledette, who, you know, that guy's a really good prospect in the heavyweight division. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see how they match up. Uh... They match up Walt. Uh, I, I'm not against them rushing him to big names, but I hope it's more the appropriate big names like, you know, um, they're giving Ninganu and, and not giving them to young guys like Ninganu because the heavyweights need need this new blood right now. So as long as, like I said before, they keep, you know, <laughs> I don't want mismatches, you know, like we saw with the Ayer Pen, but as long as we keep the exciting guys, you know, away from each other so that that division can grow and we mix them in to make exciting fights instead, uh, that's the best thing you can do with heavyweight right now. So does that mean you don't want to see Olenek versus Walt Harris? That one I could see because one, one, it, the, 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 like I said, surface value, back to that term, the surface value outweighs it because, right, that, that, that just has, has fun written all over it. Although Olenek, that's going to be a hard, muscly frame to get your, get your arms around, sir, unless you, you got to get, 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 get Walt's back for that. But, uh, uh, but also Olenek, he's not young and you know as much as i would like to see you know him go far i always root for the older guys of course let's be honest i don't think he's going to even be in a really number one contender spot anytime soon so i don't see any harm in throwing a harris versus olenek well dan we got to wrap this thing up before we get out of here man what's next for yair rodriguez i mean are they going to do that t-city fight are they going to bring in you know some guy to make him look good or is it tough fights from here on out you know, as much as I want to jump on the criticism that I often give for, you know, them cushioning fighters or building them up too slow, I think Yair's kind of past that point now. Not because he beat a, a, a BJ Penn beyond his years, but because how he's looking, that he is showing improvements when you when you cut all that other other, other stuff aside. Uh, and with the Mexico market and, and all these things, and you, you're hearing these stories of, of cars coming up by the hundreds to, to you know, for him to come out.
Spanish on Rosetta Stone last year, man. Whereas Kelvin, like, he's natural with it. So I feel like Kelvin could also be one of the potential Mexican stars, man. And, dude, I just love that Mexican fighting spirit, man. They come to fight, and then you see the technique and the flash of Yair. I'm blown away, and I cannot wait. I'm optimistic. I'm positive. I can't wait to see what the future holds, bro. Shoot, man, I'm not Mexican, but I grew up watching uh, boxing in the early 90s, Julio Cesar Chavez, and those were like those were my guys to watch growing up uh, in the boxing era. So I, I hear you 100%, man. I, I'm loving that the movement's finally coming to MMA. We're starting to get that well-rounded cultural feel, and the Mexicans bring it. Yes, they do. Dan, you're the man. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. Been an absolute pleasure, dude. Glad we finally made it happen. Been a long time coming. And, dude, just let the audience know where they can follow you. Anything you want to plug, go ahead, brother. Thanks, man. First of all, let me say thank you, and it's an honor to finally be on. Uh, I'm a subscriber. Um, obviously, people who are listening are subscribers, too, so you don't need me to promote that to you. Uh, really like love the work that you do, Daniel. You can tell you put the hustle. You can tell you watch the work. Uh, you parlay your experience that you've had and continue to do. You were just you know sparring earlier today as you were telling me off air. Um, so, man, keep keep that up. I also like, you know, your co-host, too. I'm glad you brought Sean Carey. I was a big fan of his before. I'm glad he's on this show. You guys have a really good chemistry. I can't look uh, wait to look forward. And hopefully have you on my, my new show, the Protect Your Neck podcast, which you can find uh, by following me on Twitter, at the MM Analyst. Uh, you can find my breakdowns, which will now be dropping on Flow Combat. That, that's uh, that's my main home now. But I, I will still be contributing with MMALatestNews.com. Uh, that's where my... Um, BJ Penn article dropped, and that's actually now on my site where you can find everything that's make it easy. MixedMartialAnalyst.com, podcasts, breakdowns, articles, um, everything gets archived there. So if you, if you miss it on the news cycle with Flow or MMA Latest, go right there, man. And, and uh, I'm just, just happy to keep pumping out work, just trying to get better, and glad you guys are, are reading and following along. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Yes, sir. Everyone listening, this is one of the best guys in the game, especially if you like the, you know, the written work. I mean, it's all, it's so detailed. I'm like, damn, this dude's putting in his work. And now you started the Protect Your Neck podcast, which obviously is already doing great. So I'm happy for you, my man. Thanks for the time again. And uh, we'll speak soon, my man. Yes, definitely. I got to get you on, my man. Thank you. Thanks again. You got it. And for all the fans listening, make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.